Welcome back to the Scottish Indie Music Podcast with Gareth Perry and Finlay MacDonald. In episode two, we discuss the recent broadcast of the Teenage Superstars documentary, which focuses on the influential music scene that emerged in and around Glasgow during the 1980s. We each performed one of our own musical guilty pleasures and discussed, amongst other things, lookalikes, Chaz and Dave, and potential career changes. Oh, Mandy, you came and you gave me that taking. We should maybe say yeah. thanks to everybody for watching the first episode and listening to the first episode, and the feedback's been really nice. Very positive feedback and some tips for professionalism as well, one of which was trying to... Um, Tell people what you're talking about sometimes, like if you're talking about venues and things like that. Yeah, and who certain people are that they've never yeah. met in their lives. Exactly. <laughs> well, I believe professional broadcasters say, imagine you're talking to your mother or something like that. I don't know. I didn't get into this to be yeah, professional, yeah. though. Yeah. You know, I don't have to worry about that. Nah, I think we just keep it completely self-indulgent. If people don't know what we're talking about, then it's their problem. I mean, have you heard of Wikipedia? If you're that bothered, go and look it up. I think the big news of this week in the world of Scottish indie music was the Teenage Superstars documentary that was on Sky Arts and I believe it's still available on Sky Go and Now TV and yeah. it features That wasn't why I wanted to talk you. about it I'm, I'm sort of like I'm in this very short Benny Hill type <laughs> um, snippet of a BMX Bandits video Kylie's got a crush on us, but it's mainly about yeah. the wave or the explosion of independent music that happened in and around Glasgow in the mid-80s. included the Pastels, the Jesus and Mary Chain, the whole creation story, BMX Bandits, Teenage Fan Club, the Vaselines, all the sort of biggest, most enduring and, you know, I suppose important bands that came out of that era. It was brilliant. It's a great documentary. I thought it was great. What did you think? Yeah, I loved it. It was really good. I- I remember there was, a, there was a documentary on BBC, and I can't remember the name of it, but it almost had the same sort of feeling to it. But that mm-hmm. episode was only about half an hour. So it was nice to have, I think it was about an hour and 47. So it was really yeah. nice to get a bit more depth with all the stories and just all the faces mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, some of the more obscure band members that it was really nice just to see them getting interviewed as well. Like the drummer of Primal Scream and things like that, and at the early members. And, but then John Martin, of course, who I, I know... Um, a lot of people I know, uh, he's written books and things like that. He was great because he, he speaks, he's just got a great way of delivery and, and he did, he was the famous tambourine player for uh, Primal Scream in their early records, you know. He was one of the stars of the yeah. show, I, I would have thought, you know, great. I remember them from sort of around that time, 86, you know, Velocity Girl and things, when that was their, that was on the C86 compilation, which is a sort of totem for that whole era and it gets... The, whole, uh, the movement gets called C86 quite a lot uh, with an NME compilation that came out. Yeah. I was a wee bit too young for it as well, to be honest, though. I was only 16 when that was on. I couldn't go to like indie nightclubs when I was 16. But the year after that, I kind of caught the end of it and you know, I saw the BMX Bandits. That was my sort of punk rock moment, my first sort of indie gig where I could watch people on stage who seemed to be a bit like me and they were only just a few feet away and it was like, wow, you know, I can do that. Unlike, you know, the perhaps the previous gigs that I'd seen in the Glasgow Apollo, which were huge, you know, and that was a different kind of thing, you know. 
Yeah, one of the other things I wanted to say about that, that series, like things like the bands at the time, it doesn't maybe come across how good a lot of them were live. A lot of them were really exciting and sounded great live. Of course, the records were very badly produced because they were just produced by people who didn't really know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the sound of the records, don't, it's quite hard to listen to a lot of them now, to be honest. Um, but live, there's an explosion of live bands all over the place. And they were great. A lot of these bands, BMX Bandits, for example, bands like Felt, although I didn't see them, other people I know, they were great live as well. And the June Brides and people like that as well. Anyway, I thought the film captured the spirit of the, the age, as Hawkwind might put it. <laughs> yeah. See, that's it's really interesting hearing your perspective of it, obviously, just being that sort of age around that time. It's slightly envious in a way because there wasn't really anything like that when I was that age mm-hmm. that I was really into. Yeah, I mean, that was quite a good thing. You know, I think things like Franz Ferdinand and things like that all starting to come out and bands around that kind yeah, of thing. I mean, there was a lot of good bands around. It wasn't that there wasn't anything interesting happening, but I think you were spoiled definitely around that time. Yeah, I mean, at that era became known as Landfill Indie. It was almost something <laughs> was more indie bands <laughs> around 2006. <laughs> it hasn't gone down in history the way that C86 did. Did you know at the time that it was pretty special? Um, yeah, there was a definite buzz. It was exciting. Even though I kind of was a bit young to go to a lot of the gigs, I caught the end of them. But reading the NME every week uh, and listening to Janice Long and John Peel sessions every week as well, you were tuned into it and it was a real buzz. There was so much, so many bands. It definitely felt like a exciting time, you know. And there was that DIY element to it all as well. No, that's cool. And it just would have been here as well, because, I mean, there was stuff around that age that was made for me as a 17, 18-year-old. I often wonder with kids just now, because they've got access to all the music in the world. And I wonder if they miss that collective thing. Yeah, we don't rely on the music papers and radio shows. You can find out about bands on Spotify. You don't know if anybody else likes them. Whereas before it was like, you, you know, everybody read the NME, so we all knew what we were all liking or, or hearing about and stuff. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, I don't think it's such a bad thing to have that access, but at the same time, yeah, it did feel special when it was for you and it was your age group. You and your pals were all excited about this same thing. Yeah, that's something that has been lost to a certain extent, I think. Maybe it'll kind of come back, you know, because you get things like, Tim's Twitter listening party where people are consciously making that happen, aren't they? And the fact that finals come uh back, people are looking back and thinking, well, what are the good things about the past we can bring back, you know, we can still do? So maybe it will come back, you know? I think young people are always good at surprising us old folks. So, you don't know, see what happens. Yeah. And they're still into cool stuff. There's a couple of people I teach as well that are just into the most crazy music that I would never have found if it wasn't for them. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Well, I get um, that from my kids. I'm lucky I've got two teenage kids and I've had a, a lot of music shown to me by them and I've shared it with other people as well. It's great, you know. Can you remember any names of tunes that they've introduced to you? They've introduced a big one recently. It was uh, Carol Carabonito, who Eric got me into. Yeah. 
and then Ray, she got into it as well. And they're the kind of London-based band with a Japanese, half Japanese, half London singer. It's really interesting. It's half two cultures, you know, uh, in, in the one band. And they're kind of electro-pop and they've got great melodies and they're amazing live as well. Are they the ones that have a song about a flamingo? Yeah, they've got one called Flamingo and they've got the trampoline and um, so that. And then... It's all the hip hop things that I suppose are quite popular. I'm, I wouldn't have known about things like Kendrick Lamar if it wasn't for my kids, to be honest. Um, I, I like some things like that. The one that jumped out at me was a song, a girl called Claro, and it's a song called Pretty Girl. I think she's quite uh-huh. popular now, actually, but uh-huh. the video of it is it's just one of those ones where she's like, it's really naively edited and actually really naively written because it, it's, it's almost like she stumbled across a shape of a chord on her little keyboard it sounds like a little Casio to me right. she's got the Casio drum beat in the background and uh-huh. she's just moving this chord shape up and down and finding where it works yeah. and it's the same shape the whole time and she was singing a song about a boy that had split up with her because she wouldn't wear a dress and it was just, it's just so like <laughs> a perfect yeah. song for a teenage girl like that Absolutely. it's interesting that that's a lot of what was good about the C86 thing and other movements since then, but it's that idea of not being able to play, but that not being a hint. Really, I've heard bands who were great in that time and who they're now writing new songs, but they've since learned to play and it's not as good because their ability on the <laughs> instrument is interfering with the creativity. I've heard mm-hmm. that happen a lot. I've got a great one to say hello. 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 I promised they would be pets. <laughs> I promised they would be pets on this episode, so there we go. Done it. It's really interesting to hear your perspective on it because I just get the impression from you that you sort of still see yourself as a bit of an outsider in that scene. Yeah, yeah. It could just be me. I, I may have what I, I, maybe a confidence thing. I, I've got a slightly outsider complex or whatever. Um, or, or maybe it was it just I was just a wee bit young. I know Francis McDonald says that as well. He he's often says that he felt like he was like a Johnny come lately, I think was a t- term he used. But I see him as completely part of it because he was in a number of these bands, you know, before I even started going to see them. So... It must be a McDonald thing. Yeah. It might be a McDonald thing. That's possible. <laughs> the McDonald yeah. inferiority yeah. complex. That's why I changed my name to Lindsay Moss. <laughs> I think you've actually nailed it there, Gary. Yeah, you became very, very big-headed when you did that. Mm, that was it. The real me came out. <laughs> so it's very good. Very well made. Worth a watch for anybody that wants to watch it. Let's be professional. It was on Now TV, didn't you? Uh, you can get it on Now TV. So I think we decided last time that the, the guilty pleasure thing was quite good. You did drop the bombshell on me a couple of days ago that you had actually prepared a performance of your guilty pleasure this week. Wow, and now I can't make it look as if uh, it was completely unprepared and impromptu, but yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I have to make it look like I've not been scrabbling around with... Uh, a guitar for the last two days trying to get up to the standards you're about to set as well uh, well we'll see <laughs> not that I'm trying to put any pressure on you or anything uh, well you're doing a good job so uh, 
Um, well, I was just going to start with the usual caveat that, of course, there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. My guilty pleasure this week is something that I've been obsessed with for the last, since Friday morning. I was cheering myself up by playing um, Ding-a-Dong, I think it's called, or Ding-Dong, by teaching. It was the, the winning entry for Eurovision Song Contest in 1975 from the Netherlands. And it's just brilliant. It's my, I think it might be my all-time favourite Eurovision song. If you've never heard Ding-a-Dong by Teach In, you should. Cheer yourself up with it. Get it on, especially over lockdown and things. Have a wee disco in your kitchen. But I'll just play it for you right now so that you know what I'm talking about. Turn the camera around, but I forgot. It doesn't matter. You know the the Eurovision film that with Will Ferrell that was out last year. Is that the song that they kept singing in that, or kept getting no. heckled to sing? No, but they got the idea for the name of that song. It's called Ya Ya Ding Dong. Le Ya Ya Ding Dong. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Eurovision Song Contest yeah. film is absolutely fantastic, isn't it? With Will Ferrell. The one you did there, I'm sure I've seen Edwin Collins singing that, and it might have been on Eurotrash. Yeah, I think he did, actually. I completely forgot that he did it, but yes, he did, yeah. Right, so is it my turn? Yep. And this is my new three-quarter-sized guitar, the cheapest guitar I could find, nylon string acoustic, because Ooh. I thought it would be nice to have one I could just colour in and shove in the back of the car whenever I needed it. So here is its debut performance. This is one of these songs that I put on to make me go a bit faster when I'm a bit sluggish in the morning and I need to get moving. So... His name was Rico. He wore a diamond. He was escorted to his chair. He saw Lola standing there, and when she finished, he called her over. But Rico went a bit too far, Tony sailed across the bar, and then the punches flew, and chairs were smashed in two. There was blood and a single gunshot, but just who shot who at the Copa, Copa Cabana? The hardest spot north of Havana, at the Copa, Copa Cabana. Music and passion were always the fashion at the Copa. She lost her love. Woo! Amazing. What a great choice and a great version, I have to say. Lovely version. Because see when you do a kind of quiet version of a song like that, 
it really brings out the lyrics. I, I didn't remember the lyrics about getting smashed in the chairs and all that. Great. I, I love yeah, that. I, I went, love it so much. You know, you just put on a song and then Spotify just goes off on a tangent. I'm sure, mm-hmm. like, obviously know the song, but it just reminded me of it. Yeah. And in that moment made me feel brilliant. So I've been listening to it oh, it's occasionally ever yeah. since. That's another one to put on your playlist, isn't it? If you want to cheer yourself up with a, a boogie around the kitchen during lockdown. So get Ding A Dong on, <laughs> get Copacabana and just set the Spotify radio <laughs> to these two songs, man. You can't go wrong. Yeah, your algorithm will never be the same again, that's for sure. <laughs> I know, it'll be good though, it'll be good. There's a chap we used to play gigs with that really looked like Barry Manilow. He knows who he is. You know the film he... Breakfast Club, where they say to the teacher, does Barry Manilow know you raided his <laughs> wardrobe? Uh, some kid's going to say that to me one day. Aye. Who would your lookalike be? When I was young and twerker, I used to get called John Travolta sometimes. When I was about 16. <laughs> okay. Some of the youngsters in twerker had a lim- limited range of references. I-, I thought, I mean, my haircut was more like Elvis or... Morrissey, you know, that's what I was going for. But uh, John Travolta was what they saw. And perhaps they were right. I think uh, I know your one. It's quite famous. The best one I've ever had was Bill Nelson from exactly. Deluxe. Like that, that's the one. I could see it. Like You know when people say you look like somebody and you just don't see it at all. And I was like, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's quite frightening. If you put your two faces together... You, you almost wouldn't know who was who. Yeah, I guess it's his teeth. And he had one of those hairstyles, this sort of like wiry men's hair bob, like ah. Dave Davis kind of thing going on. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I should try and grow one of them. You know, it's a good reference. It's a good look. But the eye, it was the eyes were just like, it was just the same. And even the way he looked, it was like, whenever I've seen videos of myself, it's like the same. It was, <laughs> it was really weird. Yeah, well, I mean, they're great. Bebop Docs is good, from what I've heard, anyway. Anyway, we've moved on to doppelgangers, uh... and that was not part of the the schedule. We've done the guilty pleasures. So what's next? Are we going to go on to questions? Yeah, how many do you want to do? Do you want to do a couple? Or will we see how one goes, and then if we've got time, we can do another one? Let's just see how it goes. I've got four. I've got some left over from last time. So I'll ask you first, yeah? Yeah. Let's go for number three. Number three. What have you been up to musically? In the past couple of weeks, I've been working on an album from a band, Smart Set, and initially said I wasn't going to do an album ever because it was just too much work, but then changed my mind. So I've been working on that. And in terms of progress, probably about maybe two thirds of the way through it. Wow. So. It's taken a wee bit longer than I thought it would. So it's probably going to end up being a lot of me on there and maybe a couple of guest singers, a lot of drum loops, lots of my Yamaha that's sitting behind me, lots of triple track vocals. Oh, yeah. Can't beat a bit of triple track vocals. Have you got any song topics you want to share with the ladies and gentlemen? One of them is a story about learning to dance in Paris which was initially I learned to dab in Paris because that's the first time I ever saw people doing that thing. So it sort of creates a story about learning to dance on the River Seine. And then another one uh, in the same song about 
learning to walk in Amsterdam, um, which you can draw your own conclusions from. I'd say in terms of style, it's slightly hip hoppy, I think. Mm -hmm. And that maybe just comes from the drum loops. It's usually like a drum loop and a bass line. That obviously, apart from the initial melody, and I quite enjoy that. Um, I think the style for you just emerges from all the the sounds and things that you've you put into it, and because you 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 put a lot of thought into lyrics as well as melody, it, you you become you're I suppose like a singer songwriter, and that in itself is kind of like a style. Everybody likes a genre, don't they? It's, 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 it makes it easier <laughs> to kind of. Uh, sell to people who done it. That's what that's what the whole thing. It'd be quite fun to come up with a new, a new genre, I think. I don't think I've ever put anything other than pop. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Oh, you, put, you just put another word in front of that and then that's you got a genre, you know. Yeah. Like uh, I'm just looking at a random legend pop. What about you, Finley? Funny you should ask. Well, yeah, I'm working away on the the workspace album it's becoming an album now so i'm working my way through that and i've come up with the basis for a full album and you know take me a while to finish it but i'm enjoying that but i've just recently more specifically been asked by dave barker who is the head honcho at glass modern records who are putting out my music workspace records and and i've been asked to do a song a cover version song of an old glass records because he originally started out with a label called Glass Records in the 80s, during all that era that we were talking about earlier on. And he's looking to do a kind of 30th anniversary, 40th anniversary compilation album of current artists doing covers of artists that were on it back then. So that's what he'd asked me to do. And he's given me, he suggested a song that nobody else is doing. And it's by a band I had never heard of, I'll be absolutely honest. They're called um, The Perfect Disaster. And the song's called Bluebell, and it's uh, I've really got into it. It's great. It, and it was his idea because he thought the workspace sound would work well on it. And I think he's right, and I'm enjoying doing that right now. So I'm, I'm kind of halfway through completing that track. It's got a kind of Velvet Underground, Noi kind of motoric beat. Good stuff. I look forward to hearing more workspace songs as well because I've enjoyed everything I've heard so far, well, including that song at the start of this episode. Yep. Yep, the current single, that's the version that you hear at the start. The actual single got words on it. So I've got five here, so you can pick one to five. One to five. Okay, I'm going to go for number one. Number one is, have you got any hidden talents? So, I mean, that could be in music. That could be something that you've never told me that you play or something you've done or it could be something completely unconnected to music altogether well i suppose yeah i mean i play quite a lot of instruments not particularly well so that are not obvious i suppose diy and house development i like that um that, that's a, a talent that i've got i'm not too bad at i'm not like a carpenter or something you know i've laminated a worktop together out of old scaffold boards. We've got a whole bunch of recycled scaffold board and I made worktops out of that by using biscuit joints and a router to kind of get a really smooth join and, you know, make it look like one big worktop. So that's like almost getting into, well, definitely joiner skills, sort of almost carpenter skills, but not quite. I'm not a carpenter, you know. I couldn't do a dovetail joint. I maybe could if I worked at it really, really hard. I did the shelves you see behind you. 
I built all of them. Yeah, carved them out them. of one one piece, one tree <laughs> with uh, with a chisel. Your bare fists. Yeah, took ages. <laughs> I think everybody that's watching this will probably have been admiring those shelves. I find myself just getting lost in them now and again. I put They're the camera nice. on HD, by the way, guys. If you want to sort of zoom in and and look at the. Uh, they're the good books. The one shelf there that's got my music books on it. The rest are all my wife's, and all these ones up here are all my wife's. She's the she's the reader. She's the bookworm. She's the academic. Yeah. Well, there's the studio. I built the studio as well down at the bottom of the garden. Analog Mountain, which is another thing that uh, right now in lockdown it's kind of meaningless, but that's something that I, I will be inviting musicians in to record. And once this bloody war is over, including myself. Indeed, indeed. In fact, you're yeah. already booked. You were one of the first to book it. We just haven't been able to yeah. do it. I will get in with another band that I can plug at some point in the future. Which is really exciting. But I take it you're not telling into the name of them right now, no? We can hold off on that one for a bit. I, yeah. can, I just can't be bothered putting more graphics on the screen. <laughs> <Two pages left. laughs> yeah, cut, cut down the workload on that. You start to think of the, think of the editing, don't you? You go right on I better say something cool so I don't have to edit too much. So what's your hidden talent then, Go? Um, oh, do you mean oh you didn't a calculated way the way I did? No. Oh, you should hear all the things I'm great at, by the way. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, what am I good at, right? I'm really good at football manager in the ah, computer game. You should be a football manager. Well, I've applied for the Sterling Albion job twice and I've been turned down twice, so... For yeah. real, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I've got the rejection letter somewhere. <laughs> I'll look them that's out. Gareth, you know, that, that's... Um, and if it was anybody else, I maybe wouldn't believe them, but you're the kind of guy that... You're a go-getting kind of guy that would do that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's the only job I want. I'm not interested in any other job. It's the Sterling Albury job I'm after. Um, like, I have a question it. about football because I don't know anything about football. Mate, this might be naive, right? But... See if you support a team who have been doing really, really well for like about 12 years or something and winning everything for 12 years. And then they suddenly stop winning things. Surely that must be quite refreshing because you've got, you've now got a feeling where, oh, you don't know if you're going to win. And I mean, surely it must be get boring if you just know you're going to win every single week for 12 years. I mean, uh, it, was, I think, it was only nine. <laughs> was it nine? I don't know. You know, <laughs> but you know the kind of, you know the you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're at real risk of alienating ninety percent of our listenership here. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'm not <laughs> saying any any names. It could apply to you know either of the major teams in in Scotland. You know, what we sure. need is uh, Gareth Perry in charge of Sterling Albion, and just to upset the apple cart a little bit. Yeah. Although, I mean, if they keep turning me down, the relationship might sour a little bit. So what I did is I sent them I sent them an application. I kind of spelled out what I was going to do and then sent a screenshot of the time I won the European Cup with them uh, <laughs> and said, this is what I can do. Give me eight years and this is where you'll be. That's what you used as evidence. How on earth did that not work? I'm baffled. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, Am I asking you? No, you're asking me. Is that right? Yeah, we'll do, I mean, we'll do one more. Yeah, let's do one more. Cool. I'll go number one this time as well. 
Number one. Oh, good. I'm so glad you, you picked number one. Why? <laughs> Why do you like Chaz and Dave? <laughs> yeah. Why do I like Chaz and Dave? Yeah. Yeah. I should point out I'm not like a big super Chaz and Dave fan. <laughs> um, but you asked me to go to a concert with you and you know and you asked at least one other person I know to a concert yeah. with you, so you must quite like them. The reason I asked you is because in the back of my mind, I thought we'd had a conversation at one point about them where you said you'd, you'd like them. So it came as a shock to me when you turned down my ticket. Now, it was yeah, actually... I do like them. I do like them, but it's just I probably didn't like them as much as you thought. I liked them when we were discussing <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. If it, I'm almost like we're in guilty pleasure territory again here. It is a wee bit like that, yeah. But I, yeah. yeah, this question was floating about from the last time, actually, before the whole guilty pleasure thing. Yeah. I just so I thought I'd keep it on because I quite like. I'd like to just know. Yeah, one of my favourite pieces of musical trivia is the fact that uh, Chaz and Dave both played on Eminem's first breakthrough single, "My Name oh, Is," because they'd played on the um, Labby Sifre track that it samples. Ah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was huge when it came out, wasn't it, that Eminem oh. song? Oh, yeah. And little did all these guys know that they were bopping along to Chaz and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> brilliant. But they've got lots of great songs. We all know Rabbit, don't we? And we know, like, um, Snooker, Snooker Loopy and all that stuff. Ain't No Pleasing You is absolutely brilliant as well. Though. That's, that's a good one. That's really cool. Um, that stands up amongst any singer-songwriter. I had a bit of a thing when I was maybe a teenager. I quite I got into that music hall sound a little bit. I quite liked it. I don't mm. know if it was just maybe starting to just looking for stuff that had that style on the piano to try and learn something different. I don't know. I suppose they're the kind of modern keeping the flag flying, aren't they? They were the yeah. last ones to really go for that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it was fashionable when the Beatles and the Kinks and lots of people like that did it. They came up with this idea of doing it in their own accent, didn't they, which was Cockney. I wonder a little bit if Chaz and Dave were maybe slight victims of the time that they were releasing these songs where that production was sort of the way it was in pop music at the time. Mm-hmm. It maybe didn't quite suit this, that style of music. So maybe if they'd been 20 years earlier, it might have sounded a little bit more authentic. I know what you mean, yeah, yeah. Just because uh, it was maybe the early 80s and things like that. It's maybe some just the content, like the subject matter. I like that one, the Sideboard song. I don't know that one. But it's a good title, so I'm going to look it up. I like Sideboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I discussed earlier on. Yeah. Do you know that same gig you're talking about? I don't know who the other person I offered the ticket to was. I was maybe just asking everybody because nobody wanted to go. <laughs> I remember going to a gig with my girlfriend because she was a McFly fan when she was younger. Mm-hmm. And so we went to see them. That was her nostalgia kind of gig. And then about six months later, I said, right, I went to McFly. You have to come to Chaz and Dave. And she just point blank refused. Like, that was the line <laughs> drawn. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I think you had the, the rug cord from under your feet there. Exactly. I I an absolute fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had to stand through two of McFly albums in their entirety. That's a sore one. Did you end up going yourself then? No, I, I did find somebody went with me, my pal. He's not really into that kind of music. I think he just went because it was an excuse to hang out and 
I think it was only like a tenner for the tickets. I just looked at him halfway through and was looking at him, I was like, this, this is the weirdest thing you've ever done, isn't it? <laughs> <He's> like, <"Yeah."> <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And it was quite a weird gig. It was but, all right. But he probably he enjoyed it. Did he find out that there's lots of songs that he thought were really good? Eh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Just Maybe. saw these guys with beards singing about rabbit, rabbit, rabbit and going, this is bonkers. <laughs> yeah. You know, funnily enough, that's the one of their most well-known songs that I, I really don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the one that everybody knows, isn't it? And I can see why people maybe miss out some of their better stuff. So to throw it back at you, why do you like Chaz and Dave? <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't quite work the other way around, does it? I, I think, to be honest, I've, I've answered that. Just because they've got good songs, along with Rabbit as well, and uh, really interesting history. So the song that was sampled on the Eminem track, it's by Labby Seafray, it's called I Got The. Uh-huh. So they've used that same sort of ellipsis thing, like the I Got The and My Name Is. But that's a really great song, that Labby Seafray song. Oh, Check really it out, cool. really cool. I will, I will, yeah. Nice one. So you want another one as well? Okay. All right. Go for number four. I know we spoke about the teenage superstars earlier on. Now, I've just got the word teenage influences here. But what I was meaning was artists that maybe specifically influenced you in your teenage years that you probably wouldn't listen to now. Like It was all about just being there at that time. Oh, yeah. For you. Good one. Good one. You know, I, I think I do listen to them all. I can't think of one right now that I wouldn't listen to now or I don't listen to, but I do come back to them, right? So 13 plus, that's when I discovered punk rock. So Stiff Little Fingers, The Clash, The Damned, you know, and I still I still like, especially The Damned and The Clash, still like them a lot, still come back to them, listen to them, went and see The Damned. Interviewed Dave Vanian, actually, from a radio thing a few years ago. That's another story. Um, who do I not listen to now, though? You can still listen to them, but they're maybe just they had such an impact on you then that it's it's not the same relationship. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I'd maybe say a teenager, maybe Stiff Little Fingers. I listen to him a lot then. Rarely listen to them now. There's one or two records I do put on when I just want that kind of rush of energy that I got at the time. That'd be one. I'd say, here's another one that's better, the Sex Pistols. I virtually never listen to the Sex Pistols now, yet I really loved them when I was about 13. Very rarely put on a Sex Pistols. Like, God Save the Queens, maybe the only record I've put on now because I just I love that intro. But I wouldn't really listen to the Sex Pistols now because mm-hmm. there's something a bit annoying about them. Johnny Rotten and um, the production on the records, there was better bands around and stuff, you know. They had some dodgy imagery and there's, th- there's things about them that haven't stood the test of time, I think. So, yeah, I think the Sex Pistols is maybe my best answer to that one because yeah. everything else I probably still listen to. Yeah, good question. What about you? Yeah. I guess like you probably still dip into some things as well, but uh, they don't quite have the same meaning as they maybe did back then. But I would say... Really around that time, like around that sort of 2000, 2001, I think the first one was Strokes came along. Yes, yeah. 
And I remember at that age, that was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's like really different. And mm. it's actually exciting. And it sounds like they're a band playing. Yeah, I remember it being really quite exciting when the Strokes came out. I, I really liked them, yeah. There was almost like a little development. It started with the Strokes. And I remember when Franz Ferdinand came out as well, that Take Me Out, because they were Scottish as well. And it looked pretty cool as well. Like the videos were, were really good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then... I guess when I was when I was eighteen, the Arctic Monkeys' first album came out, and that was pretty much made for an eighteen-year-old at that moment that in time. Yeah, um, that's probably one that I preferred their second album actually. That came out not so long after, but at the time, the first album was the big album of the decade. Really, it was yeah. the one, but yeah, it doesn't quite connect in the same way anymore. What about the later, like third and fourth? What's the one with Cornerstone? I love that Cornerstone. That's a great record. Yeah. There was one or two tunes, but. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would probably still listen to the second album if I had to choose one. Mm. I think the 2000s was a great period. The first 10 years of the 2000s, so many great bands. Probably the answer to the, the question I was posing, probably Arctic Monkeys is probably the best answer I can give as well. Yeah. So you wouldn't listen to them virtually at all now? There's one song I really like, particularly on their second album, whereas at the time I probably listened to it quite a lot when I was at like hanging out with my pals and everything. And we were going to the nightclubs where the people were wearing the, the knackered Converse and the tracky bottoms tucked in socks that they were singing about. You're just giving me some fashion ideas. <laughs> and I need to revamp my wardrobe, so yeah, cheers. To be honest, I think I still do. Apart from the tucking them in the socks, I definitely <laughs> still wear trackies and wear knackered Converse quite a lot. So <laughs> I've not grown out of it yet. I was going to say, like, obviously, we're going to wrap this up, but, I mean, are we going to talk about the next episode? Are we going to have a guest on the next episode, do you think? I think we discussed maybe just what kind of guests we're going to have, and I think we talked about not necessarily having famous guests, but having interesting guests. Yeah, maybe the people that you haven't been seen interviewed very often, so people that are involved in music that aren't necessarily under the spotlights. That's right, that people might not have heard of, but have good, really good stories and things like that. Will we, will we keep think... it a secret until we can actually announce it? Until yeah. we've actually asked them as well, officially. Yeah, we could just force them into doing it and now say Black their name. Them. <laughs> there might be better approaches. Well, we'll see you all next time. Yeah, been a good one, enjoyed it. Look forward to next time. I'm off to listen to Chaz and Dave. I'm going to listen to the second <laughs>